prospecting is fundamental to having a growing business. You got to be able to get out there and drive leads, but how do you do it? And what's the most efficient way to do it? And should we just mass blast? Should we actually take time and focus on each one? Wissam's here. Wissam came in to share exactly how to make sure we're doing prospecting the right way and the mistakes that a lot of people are making that's costing them. It's costing them opportunities. It's costing them revenue and it's not good. So definitely check this out so you understand the best way to handle your prospecting. Welcome to Scale Your SaaS, the podcast that gives you proven techniques and formulas for boosting your revenue and achieving your dream exit. Brought to you by a guy who's done just that multiple times. Here is your host, Matt Wallach. Hey, welcome, welcome to Scale Your SaaS. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been here for a while, you know the deal. We are here to scale your SaaS. We're here to help you understand how to grow through more leads, great leads, people who want to talk to you. And then how do we close them? How do we make sure that those people are ready to sign up? So if you are not a regular person here, if you're not a subscriber, definitely subscribe right now. You're not going to want to miss out on any of the awesome conversations we're going to have coming up. And today's conversation is something I'm really looking forward to. To you. I've got Wassam here. Wassam Tabara is with me. He's from Truebase. Wassam, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well as well. It's been a fun day so far and a great week. And I'm really, I've been looking forward to this. So thank you for coming on the show. Of course, happy to be here. I've been looking forward to it as well. Good, good. Well, let me make sure everybody knows who you are. So Wassam is the founder and CEO at Truebase. With over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur, he has founded four startups, including Truebase. And throughout his career, he has helped start several new companies and led them to success. True base it simplifies and automates prospecting to, to it, what it does it quickly discovers potential customers with high conversion likelihood so you can prospect less and sell more and really unlike other platforms searches include many sources like websites not just profiles of the people so it really gives you a great bit of information and somebody in the sales side like me loves that so really excited to talk with you about what you're doing there at Truebase so thanks for coming on the show once again Wasam of course so tell me what's going on with you lately and what's coming up yeah well you know busy with Truebase uh, you know as, as an entrepreneur as like um, you know you spend time uh, exploring new businesses new ideas new trends and you know it sometimes means that you know you're like knocking on people's doors and trying to get their attention but every now and then I heard about it before and here it is happening to us where people are knocking on your door <laughs> and um, being on the intersection of generative AI, which we leverage quite a bit, and downturn economy where people are trying to do more with less. Um, and, you know, by either get leveraging more of their current team or to cut on software, um, which is something we provide pretty well. So can't complain. I think, uh, you know, the stars as are more or less aligned, uh, at least for now. So yeah, that's keeping us busy and excited. I love that. Very cool stuff. I want to go back. What led you to start Truebase? How did that come to be? Yeah, Matt, I'm sure this, you know this, like I've been uh, uh, in, in multiple roles over my careers. I'm always, it seems for whatever reason, um, I'm tasked to do three things, either grow the team or find more customers or go and fundraise. And in those three occasions, it's technically a sales process. And you're, I find myself spending a lot of time on LinkedIn of the world. And um, I am a technologist. I still write code till today. Um, 
And it just kind of 3D bugged me on how time consuming and manual this process is. I found myself spending hours a day, uh, you know, really researching through LinkedIn, clicking next, writing Boolean searches uh, and and you know, all these fun, uh, basically exact keyword matches. And mm-hmm. and then like using like have seven different tabs <laughs> and Chrome extensions and all of that open and doing a lot of import and export and asking the world of how do you know this? Like building basically your business social graph. I'm like, my God, this is very time consuming, right? And in the world where, you know, you open up your Netflix app and, and it just reads your mind. It'll be like, here's the shows you will like right and if you think about it like the the netflix app of the world and this is like more than 15 dollar problem a month right like picking a movie where in reality if you're a b2b business there are millions of dollars on the line and yet it's being done manually so just like this discrepancy and the status quo is just very like alarming and challenging so Um, just when the time was right, I thought like I start building a little bit, you know, some my own tooling on top of um, LinkedIn, uh, build my own Chrome extension and, you know, just a little bit, just kind of on the wow. side to really speed up a few things. Again, as a as a hobbyist who's doing this, not not full time. And I was like, there's a lot of things we can do to really just automate this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a time to explore the next gig in my career and I wanted to really tackle this problem and I'm I'm, I'm deep deep in uh, and I cross like really approaching this from multiple angles right now so cool I love that it's uh, it's funny when something comes out you know from your own needs you know they say necessity is the mother of invention and perfect example here well, why do you think it is that most people struggle with prospecting yeah well you know if you if you think about the problem if you're a b2b company you want to have millions of dollars in the bank right what do you do you want to discover new customers you have you know obviously your inbound and outbound right the inbound is a separate process it's more a marketing effort it's a one-to-many conversation you can have now on the outbound even if you you start building a team of sdrs or the the titles might vary inside sales sdr demand gen all of that depending on how you your team structure. But basically you are tasked to sit on LinkedIn and others like Zoom Info and Apollo and there's many like really good tools out there, but they're all the same, right? They're all basically you have to um, teach somebody your ICP, the SDRs. And now, by the way, it's usually an entry-level position, right? Because they're trying to really um, enter a revenue organization. Mm-hmm. It takes four months to hire and ramp up an SDR because it's an entry-level position. They last a little bit more than a year on the job, right? So if you think mm-hmm. of the units of economics here, it's like, it's not great, right? If you're a business and what do you do? You end up hiring more, right? And when you do hire more, um, you end up basically, it's very hard to translate your ICP, have them do the process well. And it turns out a lot to be like the a, a quantity game or a number game. It's a spray and pray. It's one size fit all. And you get 1% response rate, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the top of the funnel problem, but it carries on, right? Because now, well, you're pugging demos that are not super valuable. You know, they're dragging you sometimes in a longer conversation. You're nurturing those leads that you're getting, but are they really good leads or not? Right. Sure. And and it gets a little bit challenging in how to do this, right? So if you want to do your work right, right, there are technically like seven steps in prospecting. And as you know, like you can use you today the state is like you can you you can use a prospecting database. You discuss 
cover companies, um, you want to kind of see how well they match your ICP, right? Mm -hmm. And you hop on their website, you continue the research there, which is usually also super time consuming or it could be. And then you go back to the prospecting database. And now you're trying to figure out who are the people I can contact within this company. And now you spend more time, you know, discovering their email. If you want to do your work right, you have to debounce the email. I will not trust any email that's being generated unless it's debounced at least a few other places mm -hmm. to protect your sender reputation. Then the real time, the real work start, which is hyper-personalize the message, then put them in a, in a prospecting outreach. That takes a lot of time. That takes around seven minutes per lead if you really want to do it right. And if you go fast, that's, I mean, that's, that'd be quick. If you go fast. Exactly. Yeah. So this is very, very time consuming process mm -hmm. when done right. But also when done right, the response rate go from 1% to, you know, in double digit right away, if you're really able to do it as expected. Very cool. So what are some of the most successful factors of someone who's doing well in prospecting? Yeah, so it's really like it's it's kind of fine tuning those seven steps that I described, right? So mm -hmm. Uh, if you kind of want to start there and work backward, be like, do you have your ICP well defined, right? Most people think of their ICP of like three, five filters, right? Here's the company size, here's the industry, and that's, you know, maybe they have one or two things of the technology they use or revenue or that kind of thing. Um, but in reality, uh, you know, rarely you have one ICP, right? Even if you're a small company. So, um, and that, that varies quite a bit. Right. And so to be able to and it's a moving target, right, because you're running campaigns and your ICP is also continuously growing. Right. Mm -hmm. So how can you really define that at scale? That's actually, you know, sometimes a big part of the battle. And now how can you efficiently match people to your ICP and personalize from there? Um, and that's also another part of the battle. The other part is like, if you really think no matter what product you're selling at one point of time, especially when it comes to cold outreach, like it's in the single digit of people that are ready to buy your product right now. Mm -hmm. So most people are going and looking for the <laughs> magic wand, right? The intent data, who's going to sell me the magic, you know, wand, and then I'm able to read pinpoint to those customers and they're ready to buy tomorrow, right? When in reality, especially in a B2B space, you know, 7% of the people are ready to buy your product right now. You might have caught them on time. You might have not. Uh, but that does not mean you can start building the relationship over time, right? So when the time comes, right, you are top of mind, okay, mm. for your product to buy that real estate in their <laughs> their target customer mind and to really stay in that place on their mind, top of mind, if they're targeting problem X or Y, that also take an effort and you have to take a long-term approach to do that. I totally agree. And I I, I, I love the way you're, you're putting it because I think it's so important for people to really understand this. Uh, I want to talk about your background. You you started several companies. Have you been able to learn something new at each one? I mean, it was was there obviously when you start a company you learn, but the next one you might have an idea. Were you able to acquire some new knowledge each time? Yeah, great question. Matt, I'll tell you one thing. It's like you always think that you did and you can next time is going to be easier. But in reality, that's not necessarily true. Now, you're always learning from your mistake. And I will say one thing. Instead of asking what have I learned, what have you learned what to do in a specific startup? The more important question is I've learned what to not do. <laughs> yeah. Right. And sometimes, as you know, this is <laughs> this is more valuable uh, of a lesson. Each startup is a different beast. It always comes, even if you are within 
than the same domain or industry. There's a lot of moving part. Technology is moving, customers moving, people, the way people buy software uh, are changing over time. Mm-hmm. There's always new ways to take product to market. So you have to stay you know, on top of that. So what usually it, previous startup experience gives you, those are the super valuable thing, are, you know, a great network, investors, you know, employees, uh, you know, partners, people you can go to right away and they will return your call. Mm-hmm. Super valuable. Another thing, depending on your success, might give you a little bit more financial cushion for you to, you know, bat more, right? And that's sometimes it's everything. Um, and the rest is like all kind of really able to uh, run inside the house a little bit better, right? Like, how can you build a company? What are the things that matters? What are you think you should not ignore? And I always think like one of the most common mistakes is where people, they almost start with uh, with a solution, right? And they're looking for a problem. And usually it's like, hey, here's a technology, what's new? Let's go see how we can fit something to it. And they're really like, they put the blinds on, they're very focused product, 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 which is great. But in reality, there is amazing product products that have been built over time that they've never seen the light and they were never taken to market. Mm-hmm. Right. And if anecdotally, if I'm going to think about <laughs> what is the number one failure of a startup is because they didn't build the right culture. Interesting. Right? And I will not put go-to-market or team or product or all of that as right culture. And it means a lot of things. So um, I will draw an analogy to Amazon. Amazon, like they're still you know, they, you know about the 14 principles that they put in place. It's really an amazing operating system to produce other product, to quickly validate, to quickly communicate, right? And that sometimes it, it feels like, hey, I'm startup. I'm supposed to move fast and not think about bureaucracy and, and like all these HR stuff, if you want to think about it, that enterprise do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying go write a book about it, but kind of just really taking a step back and thinking about what are the values that you really prescribe to uh, and build the whole company because that's going to impact what? It's going to impact what features you go build who's you going to hire next and a lot more and it makes a lot of decision easier so if you for example like prescribe to be like you know to we are one team we are data driven we have to talk to customers first right Uh, as a cliche of basically values that they are if you're really able to put them in use you can really build a better product and you can really take product to markets a lot faster uh, which is very important for startup I totally agree so I love that you said culture there because that's one I haven't heard in quite a while a lot of people really think about if I'm getting started, am I going to focus on product? Am I going to focus on marketing? And in fact, uh, you know, I've kind of long held the contention that too many times founders focus too much on product and don't start marketing early enough. Don't start that that go to market when they should and they wait too long Uh, after you've done it once and then it doesn't go well. Most second time founders realize we have to focus on marketing. But I do agree. Culture is really important. and, And having that right culture can help everything else work well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Makes or breaks a company, in my opinion. And not only like it's not a one hour meeting where you're gonna be like, okay, I define the culture. How can you really iterate on that culture? Because you know, every it's not, I cannot bring my, like a culture from a different company hmm. or values and 
retrofit them in this company. So ability to iterate on them as a team and really have people believe in it and really think and operate of them and constantly refer to them as their value as the operating system of the company. That's how you can grow a lot more uh, smart in a smarter way. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. What advice would you give to new software leaders who are starting out? You've done it a few times. What advice would you share for others who are just getting going now? So uh, you have to really be able to work with the unknown, right? Especially if you're doing startup of technology, you have the unknown and you have the unknown unknowns, right? So there is both of those. So I think setting up the right culture and value, understanding the domain in general and the problem you're trying to solve and be very flexible to the solution, right? So yeah, I have to tell you, like we've done so far three pivots to land where we are today because we're flexible solution, but we really wanted people to be more productive in, in discovering new business, right? We, we were in the recruiting space and even that we start refining and refining until we landed. We're still as excited, but you know, the solution changed over time, right? And there's even more timing around it. Like we were doing recruiting and it was COVID hit, massive layoffs, you know? So there was a lot of stuff you have to be able to adapt and not, you know, start with one thing and be stuck to it. That is stuck with it. The other thing is like learning the stage of the company, right? If you're in a pre-seed, it's different than your seed round or series A. Like the metrics is different. The mindset is different. What you need to figure out is different. In a way, you're always trying to hit product market fit. And technically, once you hit product market fit, right, you, know, you graduated, you're no longer startup. But the idea is on daily, weekly basis, you're approaching closer, closer to product market fit. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now if you think you have the product and you have the market and you'll be like, this is my hypothesis of what I think people want, right? Or what I think I can build. And here's what the market I think they need. So what have you done here? You have wrote, you have like basically came up with a list of tens of assumptions you made. Mm -hmm. And now each assumption, right? You can say, okay, what, well, well the naive way to think be like, well, I need to go build, validate all these assumptions. And then I can figure out, do I have a business or not? Great, great academic exercise. In reality, you don't have the time or resources to do that. Super time consuming. And you will run out of money. The market will move on even before, even if you're able to do that. So just by thinking about it this way, be like, okay, if these are all my assumptions, let me do a prioritization exercise. And you rate each assumption. You say, well, this one, if I don't have that right, I have no business. My whole value proposition position is different. Like, for example, like one of them will be like, I want to build a website. Well, that's not a high risk assumption because there's a lot of people that's being built every day, right? Mm -hmm. But can I leverage a specific technology to solve a specific problem? That's a high risk assumption. If you don't have that right, you cannot make it happen. Or do people, will people want to buy your, this specific problem? Or do they even have that specific problem? So if you take that like exercise and write all these assumptions and mark them, are this high risk assumption or this is low risk assumption, then the next part of the exercise will be like, well, what's the effort to validate this assumption? Is it low or is it high? So now you have like kind of think of a spreadsheet. You have the high and low of risk assumption, a high low on effort. And now you're always, always refining and revisiting those. And where do you start with? What's the most yield is the lowest effort with the highest risk assumption. And the more you're approaching there, the more you're validating more the whole value proposition and you're able to refine, right? Pivot, adjust on a high level, right? Mm -hmm. Which, and every time you adjust, you come up with a higher list, uh, a higher, um, sorry, a longer list of assumptions that you have that you also have to continue this exercise on and on. So that's how you kind of like start making 
covering more ground at the early stage so you can approach your product market fit and have more conviction in what you're building. I love it. Excellent advice. I hope people take it. I want to make sure that uh, our audience is able to learn more about what you're doing and, and Truebase. How can they get in touch with you or, or learn about Truebase? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great place. We saw them to borrow one word. I'm always happy to answer questions there. Also email. We saw them at Truebase.io. I'm always uh, love to hear from others. Uh, great minded, uh, great uh, like minded ideas. Yeah, perfect. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on the show with Sam. Thank you. Of course, Matt. It's been fun. Absolutely. And thank you for listening. For everybody out there, make sure you're subscribed to the show. You will not miss out once you subscribe. Can't wait to see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Scale Your SaaS. For more help on finding great leads and closing more deals, go to mattwallach.com.